Today's episode of Vice Versa, we're talking about Blue Origin taken to the skies, Tesla's virtual power plant in California, full self-driving beta subscriptions, Jeep going electric, and more. And as usual, I'm joined by Ricky Roy. How you doing, Ricky? I'm doing good, Matt, but we also have a very special guest this episode, Alex from Ticker Symbol U. He's one of our new friends and fellow YouTubers. He runs a really awesome channel called Ticker Symbol U, where he talks about investments in ARC, one of the most innovative funds that talk about some of the coolest companies doing the coolest stuff. Alex, how's it going? Good. I'm excited to join you guys as the third bald man on the show. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. <laughs> we're, we're setting a trend here. We're, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we've got a really fun roster of topics for the day. But as always, let's start with you, Matt. What was your video this week? I did a video on kind of structural massless energy storage battery breakthroughs that have been happening recently and what it could mean for the future of everything from your cell phone to cars. It's kind of an amazing kind of breakthrough that's been happening. And it's really doing really well. Go check it out. It's a fantastic video. Alex, what about you? What was what was your video this week? Uh, so I tried to capture the effects of the billionaire space race between Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson. Which we're going to be talking about in just a minute. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Very good video, good by the way. This. I really liked it. Oh, thanks. It was a really good video. It's a funny thing about YouTube. Sometimes you never know what will resonate with your viewers and audience, but... Uh, this week, I made a video on, I've been working on this video for about two, three weeks now, but about the the range and towing effects on EVs. And you know, there's been all this kind of talk about why is it the EVs can't tow? They lose so much range. So I kind of broke it down and modeled why exactly uh, that is. So if you're curious about that or you've, you you have a Cybertruck reservation, uh, definitely check it out. But I think in the future, we're going to have this figured out. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes. Without further ado, let's jump into the into the, the lead story here today. And let's talk about Jeff Bezos and his company, Blue Origin, and their first flight into space. So when it rains, it pours. We had a story about Richard Branson doing this very thing last week. But Bezos chose a very um, important day in history. This is uh, July 20, 20th was the Apollo 11 moon landing date. So even as Richard Branson kind of you know, one-upped him and got there first, he, he held, held strong and wanted to target that date. So one of the really cool things is they reached a height of 66 miles, which is 10 miles more than Branson's ride on the 11th. And, you know, we talked about this before. Why should you care? This is a this, these are companies that are trying to foster a new age of space tourism for the very rich. But you got to remember that taking a flight across the Atlantic Ocean to go to New York or to London 50 years ago was the same sort of thing. So. Here's to hoping that this means that we're going to have cheap space travel uh, coming forward. It was really, it was really a kind of a fun story. They hear the people that actually went up there with them. Um, they kind of had the full spectrum of people: an 18-year-old from the Netherlands for some reason, an 82-year-old <laughs> old aviation pioneer from Texas, and uh, I think his brother, Bezos's brother. So, uh, a successful launch, launch and return, which is always important. You want to make sure that you get these guys back home, and uh, just a really awesome story and. Now we have potentially three private companies. Let's not forget, it wasn't long ago, there was no such thing as like a private aviation uh, aerospace company. It was always uh, public, it was always governments that did this. So now we have three viable companies with three rocket technologies that they're all pursuing and advancing. And I think it's gonna be the most incredible like 10 years in, in space innovation uh, in history. Yeah, I was curious, like one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the show, Alex, was to get your take on this, because a lot of people miss why this kind of stuff 
has so much potential for the future and what what's going on with spaceflight and why we should even care about space tourism. What, what's your take on all this? Yeah, sure. So there's that's that's definitely a great question. Why should we care? And I think, you know, we can look back at history and we can ask the same question about airplanes. Oh, that's nice. A few rich people can like travel in the sky instead of buy buggies and buy the Model T or whatever the automobile was back then. Why should we care? Right. Oh, a few rich people can have cell phones in their pockets when everyone else still has landlines. Why should we care? Oh, a few rich people can begin affording personal computers. Why should we care? And that's kind of the narrative that gets played over and over right before humanity as a whole is about to win big. Um, and the reason to care is because it's going to be a launching pad for new innovation, right? So just like the airplane and the cell phone and the personal computer spawned all sorts of massive industries, both in terms of personal travel and logistics, you know, so too will space travel. You know, I bet in our lifetime, you will be able to buy a tourist two-way ticket to the moon, for example. I would put my money on the fact that if we really wanted to, before before we pass, we will be able to buy that ticket. And that's because of the innovations being made today. So, for example, one thing that totally slipped everyone's notice is that uh, the Blue Origin flight was fully automated. It had no staff. It was a full civilian crew. Um, and everyone there was a passenger. No pilots, unlike the Virgin Galactic flight. Um, and I think that is really a testament to how far, far robotics, automation, artificial intelligence, you know, control systems and all these other things all three of our channels talk about have progressed in the last two, three, four decades. So I'll, I'll start there. There's a lot more to talk about, but I'll yeah. pass it back to you. Yeah. Well, one of the things that jumped out at me from all of this was be beyond just the why does it matter is also kind of the symbolism of the 82-year-old woman that was on there. Her name's Wally Funk. And she was part of the original Mercury program that had trained a whole bunch of women that most of us never knew they did. And some of these women actually performed better at their tasks and tests than some of the men, but they never got to go to space. And so the fact that Wally Funk has now gone to space on this, there's a nice symbolism to that, that kind of ring for Absolutely. me. And if you've seen the TV show um, For All Mankind, it's on Apple TV+. Plus. They focus on that those women Mercury pilots, and they actually do get to go to the, sh the moon. It's an alternate history of what if. And it's kind of fun to see there's characters in the show that are clearly based on Wally Funk that are in the show main characters. It was really kind of, kind of cool to see the real life Wally Funk get to go to space. Absolutely. So I mentioned before about the innovations when you have like you know, private companies doing this stuff. That's exactly what you get when you have private companies. When you have Amazon, a man who obsesses about robotic warehouses that can ship you goods in 24 hours or less and, and do so with very minimal staff and you know, with ease and efficiency in mind, this is the sort of stuff you, you get. Um, NASA's always done a good job, but I think when you have like private, especially like people in the tech industry, you have a new take on what matters and the cost, what will happen to like the cost per launch is going to, is going to be the, is this the story that will play out here. Alex, you mentioned, you know, cell phones were expensive once upon a time. Everything was. Everything starts off that way. How we drive some of these costs down in space is not as easy as like a cell phone because, I mean, rockets and fuel, these things are not exactly going to ever have economies of scale like millions and millions of iPhones. But when we have more innovation, when you have more automation, yeah, this is this is kind of the, the cool stuff you get when you have private companies doing this stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, I was also kind of curious about like they during the launch they brought this up, but like the fuel choice that they're using. There's basically what is it three kinds of fuels that these different companies use. It's kerosene, methane, or hydrogen. 
And I guess hydrogen is obviously the most energy efficient, like the most energy punch, but it's the most difficult to store. Kerosene is the easiest to store, but not as energy efficient. And then you got methane that's kind of in the middle. SpaceX is using, I think, methane for their for their stuff. And for this, it was hydrogen. So the entire launch, it was just basically blowing steam out of the back of the rocket as it was taking off. So if you want to, if you want to kind of bring up the idea of like, uh, is this going to be a sustainable way to get to space? It's like there actually is a very sustainable way to get to space just by using something like hydrogen. Um, I'm also curious. I don't know if either of you guys know why SpaceX is choosing methane over going with hydrogen. Either of you had any idea? Yeah, so RP1, which is kerosene, is what they've historically used on like the Falcon 9. And Starship is moving to methane, to, to methylox, basically. It's a methane and oxygen uh, oxidizer. And stuff like uh, the space shuttle use hydrogen. Hydrogen is makes a lot of sense because even though hydrogen isn't, isn't that abundant here on Earth, like in the universe, it's, every, it's everywhere. It's the most abundant element by a, by a wide margin. But it is still tricky. That sounds great. Um, in in theory, but still you have to you have to freeze it, so you have to control the temperatures much more than you do with something like methane or uh, RP one, and it's also it's also trickier to harness because if you're if you're gonna produce your own hydrogen, you, we've kind of talked about this mountain in our channels. I think maybe Alex, maybe even you have, but like you know hydrolysis, uh, electrolysis and the other methods of producing hydrogen aren't that simple. Part of why I think Elon chose methane. Yeah, you could potentially, if there's like a methane deposit, like methane's escaping from the ground on Mars or something, you could potentially capture it and have your own rocket fuel from other sources. And we've known that there's like methane on Titan and various other celestial bodies, moons, planets and stuff around uh, the, the solar system. So methane is interestingly not the best at any one thing, but it, it's a good all around choice. Um, RP, uh, it's also methane cleans, uh, uh, burns cleaner, much like hydrogen. So if you want reusability, you want to get away from kerosene, kerosene burns, it's quite dirty. So you'd have to like really get in there and clean up the, the, the engines if you wanted to reuse some of the stuff. So, um, it, like all of engineering, it's a trade-off. It's a game of trade-offs and you got to pick which one you want. Hydrogen does have really cool perks, but we've talked about this with cars and everything else. It, there's some serious drawbacks too. It's really tough to keep it all in there. I mean, it's such a small element. Any other kind of finishing words on this story or should we move to the next one? A very important comment just came in from Bobby. He says, what a beautiful Irish beard. I concur with that assessment. <laughs> yes. Thank you. I, I think they're talking about me. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> oh, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. Awesome. Um, I, I think the last comment for that is, you know, the inno there's definitely going to be future innovations in fuel, sustainability, automation and all that. But it's important to keep our eyes on the prize, right? When it comes to unlocking space, it's going to be one of those things where today it's really expensive and not really sustainable and not really you know, fully automated. But in 10 years, this whole industry could be very different, both in terms of, you know, how we're getting people to the ISS, how and why we're going to the moon and Mars and beyond. So I think, you know, if you look at this as the start of something big, instead of, oh, why should we care about its position right now? I think you'll be a lot more excited about it. So yeah, I agree. It's it's for the future, not for the now. It's we got to keep an eye on the prize as to where we're going, not where we are right now. Next up, Tesla is inviting some of its energy customers into a virtual power plant system in California. And I actually got the email for this, which I thought was weird because I have a power wall, but I'm not in California. 
Of course, you got invited, and I didn't. Yeah, I, you know. I, I don't know. I don't know why I got it. It's like you think they would segment their email blast to people who live in California, but I got it. Uh, what they proposed in the email was they listed out several benefits, which were um, exporting credits during peak periods to basically help your community for like peak usage during the summer months. Uh, cleaning the power grid, which would help reduce how many like coal power plants would have to kind of spin up. Uh, stabilizing the overall grid and just as a united tesla community which they said is just an amazing community kind of stepping up and kind of showing what they can do and energy security uh so i thought it was interesting that they pointed all these things out the one thing that i thought was odd in the wording was in the exporting credits during peak periods they said customers could earn credit for their energy that is sent back to the grid they didn't say they would or they can it was an odd choice of words to me because it's clear that they may not have lined up if the utilities will be paying back for this use or not yet. And I'm here in Massachusetts. I'm already, my power wall is already part of a virtual power plant system where I am. It was created by the utilities, not by Tesla specifically, but it's done through Tesla and like uh, there's Sonnen batteries are also part of it. So it's like there's different companies that can participate in the program. And so far this summer, I've seen several times where, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon, suddenly my power world was going to peak just discharge mode for like three hours and just drains down by you know like 50 60 70 percent as it's going into the grid um, and at the end of the summer i'll get a payback out of this depending on how much energy i put into the grid i will get a check at the end of the summer and so i'm that to me that's a huge incentive for this kind of program and if it's basically just right now the proposal what they wrote together for people that would want to participate it's basically just a you'll feel good about yourself. You're helping your community. And I know there's going to be a lot of people that will jump on board with that, but there's going to be people that are not going to want to do that because they're going to want to make sure that their energy is their own. But if there was a dollar sign hanging on this, you'd probably get those people to participate too. So I think they're going to have the risk of lower par participants in the program if there's not some kind of credit system attached to it. Uh, so that was my, my biggest concern out of this. What do you guys take on this? Yeah, sure. So I think I think you're spot on, right? I think there's two things you can do to increase adoption of stuff like this. First is the dollar sign, as you mentioned. And second, it could be like even a scoreboard, right? Like, here's how many kilowatt hours you gave back to the grid over the last month. You know, this helps exactly. stabilize and rooms in a hospital right which need reliable power 24 7 you know and then show them the effects like the socio-economic effects of saving power returning it to the grid making it more reliable for everyone you know things like that i think the scoreboard and the dollar sign together would do exactly what you just said which is like oh sign me up i want to watch those numbers tick up and know exactly like quantifiably how i'm doing my part i think that's a, that's such a fantastic idea you always read about you know incentive incentive structures for people. Clearly, finan financial incentives are good, but I think maybe even more important, especially early on, because if you think about the, the adopters currently who have power walls, you know, we're at a stage where we're not, we're not, we're at the early part of the adoption curve for stuff like this. A leaderboard and bragging rights would be yes. the ultimate thing. Yeah. So I always read about this like in Freakonomics and some, other, some of the other books that I read, that you'd be shocked that the, some of the best incentives aren't money. They really are more about things like a leaderboard. I love that idea. You should pitch that. And hopefully Tesla, Tesla could probably roll that out. But if you could like look at that table and look at how much you've output and how much you've done, that'd be such a cool idea. I have not gotten that email. I, I don't know Tesla why. Tesla does not like me for some reason. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. I, I get like, zero involvement from them for anything. 
So I haven't heard anything yet, but I'd love to be a part of this because I've we've talked about this before. This is how you clean up the grid. Being able to just in a in a quick moment and and forget about just not running peaker power plants, but this is how you avoid power outages. If you were to have a brownout because suddenly there's a 90 or 100 degree day in Cal, 90 degrees in California, especially like in the coast areas, we lose our mind. 90 degrees is is very hot to us. Everyone's air conditioning and you get brownouts and stuff. This is a way you could fight all of it. I'm really hoping that this rollout goes smoothly and mm-hmm. it becomes an available option for everybody. In California, we have three major players. So that might be Matt, why they use the words may. Yeah. Because maybe like two out of three have said yes and one is dragging their feet. But um, PG&E is the biggest one. So as long as whatever they do, I think the others will follow suit. But let's hope this is a really fast and amazing rollout because I love this. This is one of the things I'm, I'm most excited about. Yeah, I did a little back of the napkin math, and Tesla stated that they have over 50,000 power walls in California. So if you take 50,000 and multiply it by 13.5 kilowatt hours, which is what the power wall is, you're talking about 675 megawatt hours of battery. Now, of course, it's not going to use all that because they're not going to drain your battery to zero because I have mine set to 20%. It will never drain past 20%. You might have yours set to 50%. So like, even if you take into account something like that, you're still talking about 300 to 500 megawatt hours of energy storage that's available for the grid in those peak usage points. That is a lot of energy storage that you just to flick on basically overnight. All people have to do probably is just in their app say, yes, participate. And suddenly your, your virtual power plant system, it just scales up to an incredible amount. I'm a huge proponent of kind of microgrids and micro strategies like this. It's because you can, you can roll them out faster than building a massive battery plant. It's like, it's easier to do this than the other way. Yeah, and I I think the real advantage here is it's very, very scalable and it has network effects, right? So the more people that join, the more uh, utility that each person sees, the more they can share about it, right? Imagine being able to post status that says like, hey, I just hit my, you know, 100th kilowatt hour donated or whatever, you know, that encourages more people to join and you get this virtuous cycle of, you know, people encouraging other people to help the grid and then, you know, seeing their trophies for helping the grid that encourages more people to join and so on and so forth. Right. So and eventually you have this super elastic, stable, reliable, you know, scalable energy solution. Yeah, really, really well said. The stock source says it's only 110 degrees here in Phoenix. That's actually I don't know if he's joking, but it does get hotter than that. I was in Vegas and it was almost 120 degrees for the day that I was there. And Caesar says, "Why do I have the sudden urge to shave my head?" Caesar, <laughs> I don't know, but I'm I'm gonna guess it's a it's <laughs> it's a byproduct of of the goodness you uh, you're looking at here. Yeah. So the next story, uh, speaking of Tesla, Tesla really is they, they're trendsetters. I mean, home batteries, uh, self driving cars, electric cars. They are pretty much the single reason for all of it. But now, after months of kind of thinking about this and wondering what it would come at, Tesla is offering FSD subscriptions for $199 a month. Now, if any of you have looked in your app, you can actually check it out right here and turn it on. There's no long-term commitment, so you could like turn it on for a road trip, see how you liked it, turn it off again, which is the cool thing about subscriptions. The not so cool thing is, I just read this right here. It's not; it's excluding taxes. So in California, that's probably another twenty bucks. So it'd be like two hundred twenty bucks a month, which kind of sucks. So I, I was hoping to see a price closer to one hundred to one hundred fifty, but 
you do get a lot of stuff with this. Now, this is still FSD, so there's no claim of full self-driving, but if anyone who's seen some of the footage from some of these cars, it is absolutely incredible what they're doing. I was just watching a video from, from Raj and Gally who mentioned they've been having zero, uh, you know, disengagement drives for, for some time. So others have stated there's there's been a little bit of a regression potentially from some of the rewriting that they've done, but this is really welcome news to anybody who has a Tesla and who doesn't have FSD like me, because I'm definitely going to try this out and see if I like it. And if I do, 200 bucks a month somehow, even though that is a lot of money, that's almost as much as my payment for the car, but I'm glad to see that they're doing this. And I think this will help them with better uh, break-in into the industry. And having Alex on this call, you know, one of the things people have been talking about is the potential for Tesla to be making more money on software. Think about this. If they have a million cars on the road, they could be making $200 million a month from just from this incredible uh, new revenue stream. What do you guys think about this? Uh, sure. Yeah. So I, I think the subscription, the subscription model, excuse me, is very interesting um, for a wide variety of reasons. First of all, like you mentioned, it's pretty expensive. It's a, basically a car payment itself. But I think one of the th opportunities here is for them to incentivize uh, people to try FSD, right? So the no monthly commitment is certainly one way to do that. Another way to do that is, you know, hey, your first month is on us if you buy some card to the supercharger or some extra package or feature or whatever, you know, they, they can offer that subscription as part of some larger package, right? Um, the feature costs $10,000 out the gate if you didn't do the subscription. So I think it's a trade-off between, hey, do people want one lump sum or do people want to pay for it with no commitment, turning it on and off over time? Um, but I think the other thing that you really hinted on, Ricky, was this is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to software being laid over the transportation platform. For example, when all cars drive themselves, now you have a new Netflix subscription, right? You have streaming hours that are unlocked because your car is driving itself instead of you driving it. You can imagine this ecosystem of apps being built for natively for cars that don't exist today. Uh, and so on. So, you know, I think once full autonomy is reached and solved, you're talking about another platform for other apps, just like the Apple ecosystem, the Android ecosystem, and so on. What do you think about that? Well, I was I was going to say about this, like you guys have both said what the potential is for the future of the subscription. My initial reaction when I saw the price was, holy crap, that's too much money. That is insane that they're charging $200 for what it offers today. I would... I would not pay that much money for what it offers today. But two years sure. from now, I could totally see it making a lot of sense. And so it's like, from a business perspective, I know, I understand why they set it to this price point. It's better to set it where you think it's going to end up in the future rather than say, okay, it's 99 now and then raise the price later. That's going to be an awful user experience. So it's better to set the bar now. And the other side of it is, if you go too cheap, nobody's going to do the buying it up front because you'd make the monthly subscription too low. So it's like they had to price it accordingly. But it's like right now, it's just, I just don't see the value at all. It's like, I can't imagine anybody that other, other than just wanting to try it for a month and see what you, what it can do that you've never, you've never had it before. Like Ricky, you don't, you don't have it. So it's like, it makes sense why you'd want to try it for a month. I just can't see anybody paying the $200 a month <laughs> for the way it is right now. But it's like, that's kind of the beauty of a subscription is that if you don't see the value today, you can just wait six months. You can wait nine months. And then when you do see that feature roll out there, you're like, ah, there we go. You can just jump on at any time. So there's, it's kind of a, it's a genius move. There's so much future potential around a subscription like this. And I think you guys are right. It's like, this is kind of like, 
the future for unlocking all kind of software updates. It, there's a there's so much, there's so much so much potential for different things they can add and roll out that are all software subscription based services that's going to generate a, a level of revenue that no other car company has right now. It's it's kind of insane when you think about it. We're we're in this weird part of the curve for this where. FSD currently is a novel thing. It's very new and fresh. There's not many companies doing it, and it's early on. Early on, so is two hundred dollars a lot of money or a good price? It's hard to say because there's what else could you do, right, Matt? There's no. I'm gonna go buy this from somebody else on the store. Like when you have the only product on the shelf, there's yep. really nothing you can do about it. But imagine like as this transitions. This will go from novel and new to every car has some version of it. To my prediction has always been in 2030. FSD costs zero dollars. You can't charge. You can't charge anything for it. It'll be ubiquitous. It'll be everywhere. If you if you have a car that doesn't drive itself, no one will buy it. You'll be out of business. And so, FSD is like a requirement to to be in the game. It'd be like, you know, um, charging for a a data plan on a phone. Like if you don't have a if you don't have a SIM card on your phone, how are you going to use it? It's a must have kind of a thing. So, we are early on in this point. So you'll have to deal with it. But I do think the progress. And maybe it'll be even faster now with FSD beta subscriptions or with subscriptions. Now there'll be more people, more cars, more drivers, more data, and maybe we'll get there even faster. But eventually this will be a commodity. And I think it'll be in 10 years. I think the one thing, the last thing I'll mention here is, um, you know, at scale, autonomous miles driven should be really cheap, right? So when you're talking about adding $200 a month, it turns out if you do like back of the napkin math, a car has to drive 40 autonomous miles a day to pay for that. So it's like in the end, in urban areas, when we're talking about autonomous taxis and fleet operators driving this as a business, instead of an individual taking it for the occasional road trip, the solution is actually a lot more scalable. So, you know, robo taxis will be quick to pay for pay this back uh, month after month that they incur this cost. Uh, so from that point of view, it's actually very, very cheap, you know, just as a devil's advocate example. The the, the issue with that, I would say, is a robo taxi network is w- uh, quite a ways off. And the price then, who knows, maybe maybe it'll be 100 or maybe it'll be 500. We don't know which yeah, direction sure. it'll go. But I don't think the price will be exactly where it is today. I think it'll either go higher or lower. Um, probably higher for a while. Again, part of that curve. Yeah. I think this will be $500 a month and then it'll be in 10 years, $0 a month kind of a thing. So you got to just... be different tiers. You know what I mean? It's like $200 for personal True. use. But if you're going to be part of the RoboTaxi fleet, it's $1,000. It's like they could do tier subscriptions based on what you want to do with your car. So, so, but there's a lot of potential there. And I really like that you brought up that point. It's one of the reasons we asked you to be on today. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Very good point. Yeah, another way to think about that is instead of a la carte that way, what about you pay per autonomous mile driven? Like you drove 112 miles autonomously this time, so we're going to charge you that 30 cents per mile, you know, kind of like a data plan, but you pay as you go, right? I love that idea. I'd be on board for that. Yeah. All right, well, so for the next story, we've got Jeep announcing fully electric models in every SUV segment by 2025, and this is... The reason I wanted to add this story to today was because we've talked about numerous car companies before rolling out EVs. And yes, it's 2025 or 2027, but it's different market segments and it's different kind of buckets of customers that we're going after here. 
And I have personally have two friends that are like diehard Jeep enthusiasts. They will only buy Jeeps. They love their Jeeps. They're not going to buy anything other than a Jeep. And they had zero EV options right now. So having this on the market really is fantastic that they're adding this in. But they didn't announce when the first one's going to be available. All they did in their big, basically 80th anniversary kind of announcement was say by 2025, they're going to have one in each category, but they didn't say when the first one's going to uh, arrive. They had previously talked, shown a EV concept called the Jeep Magneto, which, um, let me pull up the specs here. They hit, uh, the concept had a 75 kilowatt hour battery, 273 pounds pound feet of torque and 285 horsepower. So it's a very competent Jeep. I wouldn't say it's going to like set the world on fire, but it seems very competent, very kind of comparable to what the gasoline versions can do. So it's going to be speaking directly to their audience. And it's great to have this option on the uh, market. I'm really looking forward to seeing when they finally bring one to market. I think there's going to be another event in August where we may get more details about uh, when they may be launching these. Yep. This is a weird one because they've been completely radio silent. They, they really haven't really made much in the way of waves. I will say Jeep does. I've, I've told you before how much I, I, I dislike the, the Fiat Chrysler conglomeration, whatever they're called now. Yeah. Um, Jeep, though, I don't think they're the highest quality cars in the world by any means, but I do think they are better than the rest and they're unique in a way that people love them. So this is probably a nice, nice move. It feels super early. Like right now they're talking about plug-in hybrids. Like they're talking about stuff that they should mm -hmm. be talking about like 15 years ago. So to my mind, they're 15 years late. So, okay, great. Let's see what you do now. But um, it is better than nothing. And I do think there's going to be a market for it, especially as like the Rivian comes out and people start showing off their off-roading capabilities. And anybody with a gas car is going to feel foolish at how, at how incredibly incapable a gas engine is, especially low gearing, like rock crawling kind of scenarios where electric cars are going to just wipe the floor with them. So um, it's a cool move. Uh, Stellantis is the, the new conglomeration I was talking about. I wouldn't touch anything from that company with a 10-foot pole. Personally, I just don't <laughs> think they're well-built cars. But I hope that they do figure stuff out. And again, you know what you should do if you make really bad gas cars? Switch over to EV. <laughs> like the, the gas engine age wasn't kind to you? Fine. Like Let's forget about that and build EVs because you get to level the playing field. Anyway, what do you guys think? This live stream is sponsored by. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm um, never going to hear from those guys, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think one thing that you touched on that I think is a really important point is that Jeeps are part of a lifestyle, right? People aren't buying Jeeps because they like the square boxy look. They're buying it because it's part of a brand that kind of epitomizes their lifestyle, right? That off-roading, adventuring, you know, tires on sand, you know, any vertical surfaces, not off limits type lifestyle. And it's great that that lifestyle is another one going electric, right? So um, I think we're going to see more and more that uh, legacy automakers are realizing they can't directly compete with Tesla. So they're going to be releasing EVs in spaces that Tesla just doesn't operate in, right? Another example is the Ford F-150. You can argue the Cybertruck is a direct competitor, but I think if you ask most F-150 drivers today, they're not seriously considering that vehicle, at least right now. Um, you know, most handymen, et cetera. And that, that's not to say it's not going to be a competent vehicle, but, you know, there's something to be said about a traditional looking truck that's electric, right? The same with the Jeep. You know, a lot of people just love that look. They can't get it anywhere else. It's part of a lifestyle. You know, they're not considering any other options, just like you mentioned. And so now they have an electric variant of that 
uh, so they can join the electric movement without giving up their current lifestyle. And I think we're going to see that with more hatchbacks. We're going to see that with more, you know, insert the market that Tesla doesn't aggressively tackle right now. Somebody's going to come in and say, okay, if Tesla's not in here, I want to own that market. Exactly. It's like, for me, it's all about the diversity of choice. It's like Tesla's not going to speak to every customer out there and we need more options. I mean, that sounds good, but. <laughs> I would, I don't, I mean, five years from now, there's going to be hundreds of thousands of Rivians out there. Do these people continue to wait it out and say, let's see when they have a car and if it's compelling, uh, there's a quad motor Rivian on like, going to be delivered in, in months. And I would, I would argue, I'd much rather have one of those. So it's one of those things like this is the problem with waiting and being really slow, right? Jeep doesn't want to build EVs. They never have. That's why they haven't. Right now they have to because if you don't have something on the horizon, you're you're going to be SOL and they kind of know it. So this is the problem with that. Like they have been making gas cars, they've invested nothing, right? So they haven't, they don't have like huge red lines on their on their earnings reports and stuff from all their expenditures. But the problem with that is, do you lose out on your future customer base who've moved on past you at that point? Well, I would actually push back on that a little bit because Rivian is not competing with Jeep. <laughs> two different price points, two different markets. It's it's technically they can do the same thing, but it's like you're talking about an $80,000 truck versus a Jeep that might be 40 grand. So it's like there's a completely different you market. Think early there. Jeeps will be 40 grand for a 75 kilowatt battery pack. I I'm, I don't know. I am concerned about that, but I I don't think Jeep could come out with an $80,000 car. They'd be laughed away. Like none of their current customers would go after it. It's too expensive. So they're going to have to create a Jeep that's somewhat close to the price point that the, their customers would expect. So it's it's totally different markets. So it's like I get what, I get why you're down on it, but my my take is I don't care why they're going EV, what, whether they're late to the party or not. It's like if they're going to do it, I just hope that they're good, and I hope they're a good value because I want people like my friends who will buy nothing but Jeeps to be able to have a choice. And like right now, they don't have a choice. And these are people these are people that would never buy a Rivian. I can tell you right there, right now, they would never do it. I've always wondered what percent of the people you're talking about, like let's say you're a diehard Jeep fan, what percent are excited about the prospect of a EV Jeep, and what what percent are like, you know what, if the next all all new Jeeps for EVs, I'm buying a used Wrangler because I don't well, want an EV. One of my friends actually brought this up. She brought this up. She said she actually just recently bought one, and she brought up the fact like there's no options for her, so she got. She considered the hybrid, like they were talking about the hybrid models, and she thought maybe I'll get one of those. And she's like, no, I'll just get this one now. And then down the road, when they finally do have something, maybe I'll get that. So it's like she's open to it, but she's she's a Jeep first, EVs second or third. So it's like if it comes down to the line where they have a Jeep that's an EV that comes out and actually because of all the torque and all the potential benefits of being an EV, it could make it the best Jeep that Jeep's ever made potentially. And so it's like at that point, it's a choice of buying the best product versus buying it because it's an EV. So I think you're you're speaking to slightly different audiences and motivations. There was a question earlier, by the way, about which would fare better in deep water. Like if you're wading through <laughs> like a, a river or something, the EV would. I, as long as your battery yeah. pack is is sealed properly, the EV doesn't need any kind of ingestion. So there's no like you've seen the jeeps with the big snorkels to get the air intake up high which is your limiting factor. You don't want air being taken into the uh, gasoline engine. But yeah, it, the EV Jeep, I think, would be just an incredible, uh, incredible thing. Yep. I'm hoping to make it. I really do. I would love to drive one and see them on the road. And I hope that they get their acts together and uh, get into high gear. 
yeah, it's still very early days for Jeep. This could go completely sideways. I hope it doesn't. Yeah. So the final story is about something we've alluded to in the past, which is if you know you have all these different networks and 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 organizations that are dealing with charging, like EVGo and Blink and Electrify America that they're starting to uh, offer agreements where you just walk in and let's say you're a Blink customer and you pull up to an EVGo station, you can still charge. So um, this is still early on. And I think we talked about how you have to establish standards. There's probably going to be like a payment, like standard that needs to be established. But uh, this actually also reminds me of of toll operators. So in California, we have a couple of different toll companies that you can pay, you know, to go on a toll road. But the cool thing is they all talk to each other. So as long as you have a card, even if the company is a different company, you get billed and they deal with the back end stuff of it. So this will probably be a really critical part of how electric vehicles become more mainstream. Could you imagine having a wallet? You pull out like 12 different cards and, oh, this is an EVgo. Let me get my EVgo account and, and log <laughs> yeah. in and, and, and or pull out my EVgo app, right? It, it doesn't work that way for gas cars. I, we've always talked about how the parity has to be like true parity. You pull up any gas station, you, <laughs> you put your credit card in, you pay and you walk away. There's no memberships or anything like that. Um, part of what EVs are doing is they're, they're trying to make the experience better, like seamless and touchless. But for that to work, these different companies are going to have to work together. And obviously, you can imagine there's incentives for everybody involved because you'd hate to, like, maybe if your uh, your EVgo customer, I don't know if they would charge like a little small percentage fee for the transaction fee, if you will, or something. But this is going to be really huge. And we've talked about before how like Electrify America is selling off a billion dollar stake in their in, in their uh, company, and as some of these companies build out their infrastructure with more fast level three fast charging this will be probably one of the crucial elements that make electric vehicles completely ready for mainstream adoption i would say this might be maybe the biggest thing price price one uh this would be number two (laughs) what do you guys think what do you think alex yeah, I so I I think this is awesome news. I think you're spot on. You know, definitely there's a, two things, right? Range anxiety and the fact that um, it's not a very frictionless experience charging your car today. Another piece of news that's very related to this is Tesla, according to Elon Musk, is also considering opening its charging network to non-Tesla EVs. So who knows whether they'll join, uh, you know, an agreement just like this, or whether it's just some, you know, adapter plus, you know, some business model that just allows EVs to charge there. But I think the overall point is exactly what you're saying. They're trying to mimic and even enhance the gas station experience where it's like, I don't even look at the brand of gas station I go to, you know, maybe I have some credit card that rewards me. But other than that, it's like all gas stations are fair game. I never have to worry. You know, if one has a crazy line, I go on to the next. It's a frictionless experience when I get there, super easy to pay. Right. And then I just gas up and go. And it's not like that for charging today. Um, so I think doing this will definitely increase adoption. I think you're totally spot on, Ricky. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Like this is a kind of a linchpin. Like when I saw this, my first reaction was, and so it begins. It's like we're finally going to start to see not necessarily consolidation of companies, but companies working together for the greater good because they recognize by doing this, they're going to make a better user experience. They're going to make their customers happy. It's going to be better for them from a business point of view, as well as from us, from a user point of view. The one kind of wrinkle to this is if more chargers just offered touchless payments, it's like it doesn't really matter what network you're on. You could just go up and swipe your credit card. 
um, Electrify America, in this article, they talked about how they're rolling out um, something that's similar to what Tesla does, where in Tesla, you pull up to a supercharger, you plug it in, you don't do anything with the app, you don't do anything with your car, you just plug in and you walk away. And they're doing that with like the first car that's got that capability at Electrify America is the 2021 uh, Porsche Taycan. So it's, it's, they have to work directly with the car manufacturers to make that work, but it's, it's hopefully we start to see this more and more where more cars are like plug in and walk away. These networks are just ubiquitous and it doesn't matter what card you have. You can just pull in and charge. It's just going to make it so, so much better. Just the, it comes down to the user experience and you're hundred percent right about the range anxiety. This is going to do something huge to alleviate that. Yeah, there's different hosting companies if you have a website online and whether you have HostGator or Bluehost or whatever the hosting company is, when you go www.google.com, it works. And that's the key, that that fact that we all talk the same language and have a protocol. Um, this is really important too. In California, we have time of use because our electricity prices are absurdly expensive. Um, and as a result, Tesla now on some of their superchargers has a different pricing based on what time of day you're charging. So from 4 to 9 p.m., they pay more money, so they're going to make you pay more money. It makes sense. That, that That's just the nature of it. That's a new wrinkle that we don't have in gas cars, right? In, on a gas car, they do change prices every day or two, or you'll see the guy with a little sign changing them. They're digital now. But this would be, in any given day, the price might change throughout the the course of a day. Florida, I don't think this is a concern right now anyway, but here in California, it's just such a, uh, and Massachusetts is probably right in the middle. Probably, do you guys have time of use on your EV charging? No. No. So this even more, it becomes more important that in car, as I'm driving, I should be able to go, here is an EV go, here's a blink, here's a, here's a this. They all broadcast that they're operable. And then they even broadcast something like price and you have all that information in your car and you can say, you know what, I'll drive five miles further to go to the EV go, which is eight cents cheaper. And then the car could even do like calculations like you would save this much money. It would know all that, right? If we want a world like that where everything's connected and you have all that information in the car, they have to really nail the protocols and the, uh, the communication between companies. I think they will. I think they will. It just makes too much sense not to. Yeah, I agree. Well, we're, we're at three o'clock, so we've kind of hit our time limit here. So we're going to wrap it up. First, I have to say thank you, Alex, for joining us today. It's been awesome to have you here. I love hearing your take on this stuff. And if you haven't subscribed to his channel, you need to go subscribe to his channel. He puts out some great Absolutely. videos about just breaking all the business down, the finances down, and why things matter. It's fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great. Yeah, I love this. Yeah, I think you should be. I think you'll be a guest uh, far more into the future. So thank you. <laughs> yes. I'd love that. Yeah. And as always, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. Hit that notification bell so you don't miss an episode. We're live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And you can also listen on the go for the podcast version at viceversa.show. As always, thanks so much for watching. We'll see you in the next one. <laughs>